Ocular emergencies, eye care, they're all very important issues that we deal with in primary care. We deal with them on an automatic, everyday basis. Hi, I'm Dr. Brian McDonough, and welcome to Primary Care Today on ReachMD. My guest today is Dr. Sumitra Kondawal. She's Assistant Professor of Ophthalmology at the Cornea Cataract and Refractive Surgery Center at Baylor College of Medicine and the Cullen Eye Institute in Houston, Texas. First of all, welcome to the program. Well, great. Thanks for having me. As you can tell by the background noise, we're here at the G2P conference in Chicago, and people are on break, and you've just lectured, had an opportunity to talk to many of these people, if not all. Tell me a little bit about the areas you addressed and what you thought were most important points in your conversation. At Baylor, I actually do a lot of work with some of the family practice doctors and the residents and the med students, and one of the things they talk about in ophthalmology is they want to be able to understand some of the terminology, but also be able to examine the patient and do some quick differential diagnosis and management. So that's what we sort of focused on during this lecture, common things that will present in a primary care clinic, such as dry eye, red eye, allergic conjunctivitis, and then also looking at things that could harm a patient that need to be referred as soon as possible. I know. I mean, even with all the years of practice, I think eye, and r- eye injuries, eye concerns, and rash always get me worked up because you see it and you see things commonly, but I know with the eyes, I'm always worried oh my gosh, I don't want to miss something that is serious that could impact. So let's talk for a second about some of these common things and where we could get in trouble. Like somebody comes in with a red eye, when should I be really concerned in getting them to the ophthalmologist? One of the things that's oftentimes missed in a primary care setting is the vision. The vision is a very important thing in the differential. In eye care, it tends to be that bad things present with bad symptoms and signs. And that's one of the good things about our field is that we can actually figure things out by looking at the patient and talking to them and determine if it's an emergency or not. So the vision needs to be checked. And and it's hard to do that, but I think now with the advent of iPads and cell phones. I mean, there's apps now to check the vision. You don't have to have a Snellen chart down the hall. You can actually just have somebody look at a near card or have them look at a phone that has that thing just to make sure that their vision is not poor in each eye. That can actually narrow your differential quite a bit because anybody who comes in with a red eye or, or eye issues that has decreased vision needs to be seen by an ophthalmologist to get a thorough exam. And then the other thing is that being able to just do a good pen light exam is very important. We have all these toys in our ophthalmology clinic, but when we get an inpatient consult or we have to go to the ER, oftentimes we do a quick pen light exam. And so you can see a lot on the eyelids, on the conjunctiva, make sure the cornea is clear. And I think that's the job that you have as a primary care doctor. After that, it's time to refer. You know, it's funny you mentioned the pen light. I know we we're med students. You always got the little pen light, and you're always carrying it around. And then as we get into our practices, many of us don't carry them like we used to. It's true. But, you know, a couple of things that are actually easy is, you know, your iPhone light works pretty great, too. You just turn that on, the little lamp, and just, mm-hmm. just take a quick look. It has really good lighting for it. And it's, you can actually check pupils very well with that, dim the light, and just use your iPhone. Um, you know, a lot of primary care doctors will have their otoscope or their ophthalmoscope. They may never use their ophthalmoscope, but it's actually a great pen light. So there's all kinds of little things that you can use at your disposal to do a good What are some exam. of the things we should be looking for? So you get see, patient comes in and you see their eye, they're a little red or whatever, and I'm using my pen light. What am I looking for? Well, one thing you want to look is you want to look at the, you know, with the, without the pen light, just look at the general area around their eyes. So you don't want to miss like a pre-orbital cellulitis or, or some sort of inflammation around the eye. Those patients generally have erythema around the eyelids. They may even have some swelling around there as well. It could be from a conjunctivitis, but it also 
also could be a preorbital cellulitis. So you just want to rule that out and take a look at that as well. The other things you want to look for with the pen light is you want to look carefully at the eyelids, make sure there's no big lesions that are there, big rashes that would be concerning for like a herpetic conjunctivitis or even some zoster without much of the uh, skin findings. And then a good examination of the conjunctiva. So the conjunctiva it comes in with a red eye, for example. It could be dry eye. It could be allergies. But those things generally don't present with a lot of vision issues or with pain, actually no vision issues with that. So you're looking for chemosis of the conjunctiva. You're looking for, is it diffuse injection or is it something that's segmental? Like that would be more concerning for inflammation. And then a quick look at the cornea to make sure there's no white on the cornea. The cornea should be clear, shouldn't have any white areas. And I think those are the basic things to look for with that. I mean, when you talk about episcleritis, scleritis, uveitis, all these other things, angle closure, there's not much you can do to examine the patient at that point time. And if you've got this gut feeling that you're not sure, I don't think any eye doctor would get upset if you sent them to their clinic. No, I think you're right. And I think that's an important point. If if your gut feeling is you're not sure, I know my experience, there's usually something going on because you, you get that sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, and, and when you talked about something, I thought it, you made a really good point initially when you said, just check and see how the people see. You know, mm-hmm. you know, are the, is their acuity fine? Because that tells you a lot as well. Somebody says I was hit in the eye or whatever. A lot of times we rush right to the exam, but we don't say how's your vision. You yeah. know, are you seeing fine? Because that's a big part of it. I mean, if you think about. It. Us as eye providers, we don't even walk into the room until the vision's checked. And so, so it'd be hard to really know what you're looking for as a primary care provider if you don't know what the vision is. When we see things that we are concerned about, we obviously look at something, let's say, like conjunctivitis. And we might get somebody coming from grade school or daycare, and they have to have a note. And the note has to say that they were seen, and they've been put on an antibiotic, and then they can get back to daycare. And I'm looking at it going, well, you know, it probably could be a viral issue. Do I really need an antibiotic? But I want them to be able to go back to daycare, and there's a lot of pressure. And I know we shouldn't always yield to those pressures, but a lot of us are in that situation where you're like, well, here's your percentages. What do you advise people on that? There definitely is a lack of education in in the school system and in the daycare systems about what's contagious and what's not. And I know some of these places want antibiotic. Antibiotics and antivirals do not stop the spread. So you can put as much antiviral and antibiotic on an adenovirus patient, they're still going to be contagious to the person next door. It's probably safer to just keep the patient at home if they have any risk of that. If you think about all the different illnesses that are in a daycare, pink eye goes very, very quickly, though. That's one of the issues we have with it. The kids don't have to cough on each other. They don't really have to touch each other that much to really spread pink eye quite a bit. And so if pink eye is the concern, if viral conjunctivitis is a concern, it's best to just keep them keep them home. And how long would you keep them home? Um, I would keep them home for at least a week, so seven to ten days, because that's usually the contagion period. Parents are just astounded by that. Um, and we parents are astounded by that, but they're usually willing to keep their kid at home. The patient the, who are the worst are actually healthcare providers when they find out they have pink eye and they have to be away from patient care for seven to ten days. They won't do it. They, they want, you know, and there's no antibiotic and there's no there's no treatment antiviral that we know to stop the incubation period and the hand-to-eye contact. So, so I'll bring it back to that question. Now we're not just saying one day, two day. I have a, a mom or a dad and they're saying, I, I got to work. I yeah. can't stay home with this child. I need daycare. We're not going to eat unless, you know, and you get that in a lot of challenged environments. So the sense is they may go back or they may not go back. And what do you, what that- do you do? 
we can only give our recommendations for these patients, just like the other group of patients that are tough are the parents who want an antibiotic for the pink guy. And you know, even as an ophthalmologist, that they don't need it. One of the things that I would recommend is, is that doctors not get coerced into giving a big gun antibiotic. There are some baby antibiotics out there. Erythromycin ointment is kind of like this gentle antibiotic. It has the antibiotic name on it. We use it for other things, blepharitis, you know, abrasions, things like that. You can give that if, that, if that's what they need to walk oh, out of your office. Um, and and um, by the way, you're listening to Primary Care today on ReachMD. I'm Dr. Brian McDonough. My guest is Dr. Sumitra Kondawal. And we're talking about a real big issue because that is a day-to-day issue. What percentage of pink eye is bacterial? I mean, we know clearly it's viral by and large. Is that 100%? 88%? Where are we now? with the It's really eye? hard to know because it's very underreported. So a lot of patients will have, quote, unquote, pink eye, red eye, and people will call it a viral conjunctivitis. One of, the re- one of the things on the differential that are a little bit more common than we probably think is actually staph blepharoconjunctivitis or staph conjunctivitis. This is just staph that's on our hands, that's on our eyelids, but people will get an overgrowth of that, and they'll present with very similar to pink eye. They won't have the viral symptoms. They won't have necessarily the runny nose. They will not have the preauricular node or anything like that. But people will just call it pink eye and call it a day. And they don't really think about staph as being an option. Those patients actually do really well with erythromycin ointment because it kind of gets rid of that and helps them. And, and so, so it's hard to really do a percentage because there's so much in the category of pink eye that is not diagnosed correctly or underdiagnosed or even overdiagnosed. So, so when you have pink eye, we've kind of dealt with that group. And I agree. I, we've had a uh, physicians who are like, wait a minute, I I, I, I want to see my patients. What am I going yeah. to do? I'll wash. But it is extremely contagious. Gloves probably help for these patients. I mean, you know, we gloves and then really, really, and you can't just take a little alcohol swab and just clean, you know, the areas that are there. You really need to clean down the rooms. But if they're wearing gloves and they're being very careful, I mean, hopefully they won't contaminate anybody else. And, and that's all we can hope for. We can only give our recommendations, though. I mean, obviously, though, I understand if it was me, 10 days is a long time to be away. But like I was telling others, we make our residents stay out of patient contact. And if we're making the residents not see patients, you can tell that we take it seriously. What about allergic conjunctivitis? Those issues, yeah. I guess you're seeing it more bilaterally in those cases? Those are almost always bilateral, and they almost have, always have some sort of complaints or systemic consistency with that. You know, I get seasonal allergies. You know, I, I've taken medicine before. It hasn't really helped. My eyes are itchy. It's very common. So my eyes are itchy as opposed to I feel foreign body sensation. I feel burning. My eyes are tired at the end of the day. This is more, my eyes are itching, I want to rub them. You know, these artificial tears people are telling me about, they don't really work that much. You know, they're red. What can you do for me? And that's why I think, you know, some of these over-the-counter medicines are, they're very cheap. Catodifin's been around for a long time. Very low, there's no side effects really with it. It burns a little bit when you first start using it. Very easy for a primary care provider to recommend that they try some of that. And then then the patients will sort of self-treat themselves whenever it's seasonal allergy time. They'll go get some catodifin, whether it's Zatador, Alloway, or some other generic brand, and then they'll try it themselves. I think those are very good. There's only about three minutes left in the program. Mm -hmm. I'm with Dr. Sumitra Kandawal, and we're talking about eye issues. And to try and tell you, let's talk about dry eye. We have three minutes. It's almost (laughs) ridiculous. But tell me a little bit about the current thinking on dry eye and what the uh, pathophysiology is behind it, at least from your standpoint. Well, and really simply, dry eye can be either aqueous deficiency or evaporative dry eye. So in the former, the patients don't produce tears. 
And in the latter, they produce tears, but they're not very good quality. So that's actually more common to produce enough tears that are not good quality. And with the patients who don't have enough tear production, we always think about Sjogren's. Um, and there's a couple of other conditions um, that can cause tears not to be as good. And those artificial tears help, but oftentimes they need something more than that. So they'll find their way to see one of us as a cornea specialist. The evaporative dry eye, you know, is not usually as vision-threatening, but it can be. It's got some condition like ocular rosacea, for example. But it's much more common. And, and the symptoms patients will say is, you know, when I'm reading, when I'm using the computer, my eyes dry out, my eyes feel achy, my eyes feel fatigued. Lubricating eye drops help with them. Different easy homeopathic treatments such as warm compresses can help massaging the eyelids. After that, you know, they certainly can t- think about things like fish oils and omega-3s, and then they may need something more from a provider. But dry eye comes in so many different flavors, and I think it's very great from a primary care standpoint to recognize it, to recommend using artificial tears, because certainly... If that helps, then that's great. That's all you need. And then also to take a good look at why they may have it. There are certain medications out there that can cause dry eye and, and you know, antihistamines are a big culprit. Some of the antidepressants are, some of the antineuroleptics are. So maybe looking at that and maybe recognizing why the patient has these complaints is always good. One of the best parts of doing this show is I can get curbside consults. I'll be seeing <laughs> I had a patient come in this past week who complained they're have have always have had dry eyes and have used one of the products, uh, the cyclosporin products, doing okay. But waking up now with one eye periodically that feels scratched or red, and it's happening more than once a week, it's happening more often. What do you suggest for that kind of patient? Who's well, without with seeing them, I mean, if they're having asymmetric dry eye, one of the common things people will do is people don't always close their eyes when they're sleeping. So they'll dry out at nighttime, and in the morning they'll wake up and their eye will be red, dry. They may even have a little mini abrasion. One thing I ask them is how they're sleeping. They may be sleeping on a certain size, using a humidifier at nighttime, not using the fans. And then also people are not great about using the artificial tears at nighttime before they go to bed. They think to themselves, well, I'm going to close my eyes. I'm not doing any more work. But really, if your eyes have dried out throughout the day from using the computer, reading, all those things, your eyes probably need the artificial tears more than anything else at nighttime. So putting in a good artificial tear, maybe even a thicker thing like a gel or an ointment at nighttime may help his symptoms the next day. Outside of that, there's all kinds of other things that could be going on that we may want to take a look at him for. Well, Dr. Sumitra Kondawal, I want to thank you for joining us Thanks on Primary for having Care me. today. It was a lot of fun. I, we talked about a lot in a short period of time, <laughs> but I appreciate it, and it was great having you with us. And, again, I know the group here in Chicago at the G2P uh, session really enjoyed having you, so thanks. Great. Excellent. Great to be here. Thank you. I'm Dr. Brian McDonough. Until next time on Primary Care Today, I hope you're doing well. Stay healthy, and we'll talk. <laughs>